The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Overall, grains and livestock starting off the week on Monday with a fairly quiet tone while the stock market continues to set records. We're going to talk about all that and more here today on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us on the program. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, and uh, yeah, the stock market continuing to churn its way higher after setting all-time records on Friday and seeing stocks Mostly uh, a little bit higher on Monday as well. That spilled over into the energy sector. It crewed up a little over 1% on the day. So the money continues to flow into the outside markets while grains and livestock remain kind of quiet. Corn, beans, wheat uh, just mixed a couple of cents either side of unchanged to, to kick off the week on Monday. Still a lot of uh, short positions being held here by the funds and the managed money, including in the corn market. We'll be watching that pretty closely here. We're going to talk about that on today's show. How is that going to impact uh, this uh, market trade here moving forward? I think that's a big question. I think a lot of folks are really not doing a whole lot of marketing in this environment. We're going to talk about that. Also get a look at the livestock trade, cattle on feed numbers that came out Friday, uh, the market trading those on Monday. Those numbers were largely as expected, and we saw just a uh, mix to lower in cattle and hogs on Monday. John Heimberg with Total Farm Marketing going to join us in segment three and four to give us his take on what he is seeing throughout the market trade. Looking forward to catching up with John. Been a couple of weeks. He wasn't with us uh, as we had the MLK Day holiday here uh, last week. So uh, looking forward to catching up with John and getting his perspective on the market trade coming up here on today's program. Also, we're going to talk weather in segment two. Will we see temperatures start to warm up for an extended period here this week? Eric Snodgrass with Nutrient Ag Solutions going to join us for a forecast update coming up here in just a little bit. First up, though, let's kick off the program with some market analysis from Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. I talked to Arlen around midday on Monday, got his thoughts on the quiet action in the markets, starting with his thoughts and his take on Monday's grain trade. For a while, the market was really concerned about Chinese economy and dragging everything down, dragging global economy down. And, and the news continues to be bleak out of China, but Wall Street saying, hey, uh, this new artificial intelligence era that we're in, that's going to help us survive this and we're going to go strong. And it's of choosing to focus on the positive, the glass is half full. And that does tend to spill over into the commodities, particularly if it starts to rejuvenate inflation talk. And we're starting to hear some of that as well. So we're seeing positive for the stocks, yes, but that positive spill over into the energies. Now there's geopolitical risk there for the crude oil market but also for the grain and oil seeds. And frankly, from the grain and oil seeds, 
as we looked at Friday's CFTC commitment of traders report, it showed the speculative managed money crowd holding near record large short or sold positions in the corn, soybean, and wheat uh, complex, in that grain and oil seed complex. That's made some traders nervous, and the most nervous are the end users because they know the lower prices get and the bigger those short positions are that the managed money have, the more they are at risk of upside potential if you get something ahead headline to create a short covering bounce. So we're seeing some business come in here at these low price levels simply because of that risk at these low levels. And I'd have to say, uh, really, to me, it feels like about the only bullish factor, so to speak, in terms of these grain markets, or at least the most bullish factor potential, maybe with South American weather still. I know we're trying to get ready for harvest for soybeans in Brazil. And then we got to plant safrina corn. There's some weather concerns down there. That seems to be the biggest thing in front of these markets, to me anyway. Uh, what do you think, Arlen? Well, that certainly is an ongoing concern that we're monitoring. We do anticipate that we'll see production estimates slip a little bit more for Brazil as we get deeper in the harvest. Uh, soybean harvest in Brazil, still less than 10% of it harvested right around that 6 or 7% level. That's actually ahead of normal, uh, which you would anticipate with a stress crop. That would be the first beans to be harvested with lower yield. But the winter corn crop planting is also getting an earlier start than normal as well well. And uh, overall, that's what they need to do is get that winter corn crop in as quickly as possible. Some of the dry areas have turned wet. Some of the wet areas have turned dry. Analysts down there are trying to figure out how it all balances out. Right now, a lot of uncertainty coming from that region. And so the market just kind of consolidating after this big sell-off. Arlen, livestock trade is uh, mixed to slightly lower, it looks like, on Monday. I know the cattle on feed report out Friday afternoon, pretty much as expected. And it largely feels like this protein sector is just kind of churning along in quiet action here today. Yeah, it is. The feeder cattle are really leading the cattle complex lower this morning. And after three or four weeks now of really not having any auctions because of bad weather, we're expecting that we're going to start seeing some of those come into the auction barns now and see a, a flush of cattle come in. So some weakness in the feeder cattle market. That's a little bit of a drag on the live cattle. Overall, when we look at the live cattle, we had taken that February contract to new five-week highs uh, prior to uh, the cattle on feed report that came out on Friday. That cattle on feed report was about as neutral as you can anticipate. The core month, or the core states of cattle feeding did see some pretty tight supplies of placements down there. And uh, so that does suggest now this big surge, this big flush of cattle coming in because of weather earlier this uh, the, several months ago is now giving us the hole that follows that in inventory. So that hole is going to start moving forward in the supplies. So that's providing underlying support. But a lot of that's been priced in. So we're consolidating lower today. And once again, that is comments with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stonex, joining us for our midday commentary on Monday. Well, building on a pilot project from last year, allowing small processors to take a picture and send a photo into USDA for grading, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack last week announcing an expansion of the remote meat grading pilot program. So today we're announcing uh, what we refer to as the remote grading pilot. 
it's going to be available to any facility, any processing facility that does not currently have a full or part-time grading system in place. So anybody who meets that definition is eligible to participate in this program. Vilsack made the announcement while visiting Colorado. He says this is a needed option for producers and small processors. Right now, uh, about 90% of graded beef in this country is done in large packing houses. We'd like to change that percentage because that gives producers and that processing, uh, small processing, expanded opportunity. We did a feasibility study in 2023. We know this works. And we're only going to charge the producer for the time spent reviewing the pictures and making the determination. The USDA will host a webinar this week on January 25th to explain how the program works. You can get more info on that at ams.gov. Various cattle groups, including the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, have welcomed the expansion of this remote grading pilot project. All right, coming up next here on Market Talk, we're going to take a look at weather. Will we get a sustained warm-up in the week ahead? Eric Snodgrass with Nutrient Ag Solutions joins us next here on Market Talk. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we take a look at the weather for the week ahead, and as we near the end of the month of January, I think a lot of folks are asking the question, is it going to warm up and stay warmer anytime soon? Well, we're going to try to answer that question here today. Joining us for conversation, Eric Snodgrass, Principal Atmospheric Scientist with Nutrient Ag Solutions. Eric, good to talk to you again this week. And uh, yeah, that big question I think a lot of folks have across the country is it finally going to warm up for a little while? Are we done with this Arctic cold polar vortex, at least for for a little while anyway? What's the latest you're seeing, Eric? Yeah, it's done. And uh, But what, what came through was really cold. Parts of the plains, when you look at like the 11th through the 21st of January, there's parts of Kansas and Nebraska that just had their warmest such stretch of, or excuse me, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself, their coldest such stretch of days uh, when you look back throughout history, 132 years worth of data, we had a lot of ground in there. Now, thankfully, that ground was covered in snow, but it, it was was really cold for the last uh, several days. So it's out. But what's interesting about it is that what's left over uh, is kind of setting up a pretty nasty event in the Midwest right now. But we're going to go over for a, a mild stretch of days for 15, maybe 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 20 days of above normal temperatures overall. So, yeah, get ready. It's going to flip pretty quick. Well, looking at things here this week, I know early in the week watching an ice storm here kind of looked like it was stretched from Texas up to Illinois with potential yeah. here early in the week. What's What else is on that weather map, including that potential ice storm? 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to think about this bigger picture, okay? And the reason is, yes, we do have ice that last night spread out of Texas, moved into Arkansas. It's in Missouri today. It's in Illinois today. It's in Indiana, northern Indiana today. And uh, there's a pretty good chance of picking up a tenth of an inch of ice, a quarter of an inch of ice. That's a nasty ice storm in that area. And, uh, and it's, it's going to be, it's going to be rough. We could get some snow on the Northern side of it, maybe in parts of Iowa that's already got snow or, 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 or Wisconsin or Michigan that already has some snow on the ground. But overall, there's a pretty massive mild push of air coming in behind this. So it's a lot of rain that's going to be following this. Now, when I think about all that, it's just about the return of the moisture into some really dry air, the Mississippi basin. And I also just want to mention something here. I know we don't often talk about the Western United States in our videos, but this ice storm that's coming through, if you're going to compare it to one that we had last week in the Pacific Northwest, well, parts of the Willamette Valley in Oregon, getting at the Columbia Basin between Oregon and Washington, the ice storm they had last week, where I'm talking about a tenth to two tenths of an inch here in the Midwest, and parts of the Mid-South, they had some places there over a half inch of ice accumulation, maybe our nation's first billion dollar weather disaster of 2024. So yeah, that's what it is. But you asked the question, what does it all mean? It means moisture coming in. And the only place I don't see the moisture coming in is gonna be in the Western Plains, the Northern Plains and the Canadian Prairie. They're gonna go mild, but they're certainly not gonna have much moisture. But that river right by you, the Mississippi, it came up last week alone, it came up almost 18 feet in depth. So. We got to look at this and put a net plus on it, even though right now winter, we're not really enjoying it. Yeah, I got to think that all this moisture and the, and the warming temperatures, uh, it could make things a little mucky in some spots, but have to think that some of this is going to make its way into the soil, into the river system and be pretty beneficial here uh, to help out with some of those droughty areas in parts of the country, Eric. It is. And to be honest, I hate to say it, but sometimes when I just get into winter, my mindset is what is what what is the setup for summer? What is the setup for spring? Because that's this is a time of year where while we're waiting, we don't have crop in the ground. We need to see the right sequence of events setting us up so that we're not going into a growing season with a few strikes against us. So it's gross right now and it is going to be mucky and muddy and, and, and that snow is going to melt. But I just think about it all as kind of being money in the bank. Put it down into that soil, let it soak in, recover the soil moisture losses we've experienced for the last few years, and uh, get us in better shape for the Midwest. And, and you know, you mentioned summer. I mean, looking at some of that longer range data here, um, any notes? I know you've been looking through some new data. I don't know how far that goes out, Eric, but talk to me about some of that data you've been looking at lately. You know, it'll go out as far as you want. It's just, it gets terrible <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's uh, it's one of those things where it, it's kind of funny you bring that up, Jesse, because I often get forwarded to me people that work in agriculture that write newsletters about, you know, their projections of things. And, and nearly all of them have some sort of, uh, they paint a bad scenario. They're always disaster. It's always, oh, I know when the next black swan's coming and that, that's just, that's not sound science. That's pseudoscience, okay? So they often will post these maps of these forecast videos, and they're not, we know in the community not to trust them, but they put doubt in our minds. They make us worry about things. Okay, all of that is to say that this pace at which El Nino collapses is going to be critical for the upcoming spring and summer. What I think right now is if there's an area that is risky, going into the, I'm talking about risk for drought, it's going to be parts of the Western Plains. I think from Texas mm -hmm. all the way up to Montana. That's my area that I'm most concerned about right now. And it's only because history would say after El Nino's peak, 
and they fade in spring and summer, that's the drought area that tends to show up first. So I'll be watching for that. That I think could be the top, the top of mind thing for me going forward. All right, let's turn our attention to South America, some of the latest there. I know we've been watching uh, lack of rain in parts of Brazil, but then more rain now in the forecast could maybe delay some soybean harvest potential. Argentina's been looking okay. Uh, what's the latest you're seeing in Brazil and Argentina right now, Eric? Well, last week when I was in Kentucky, I got to talk with an Argentine grower, and he was smiling. He says, this is the best weather we've seen in a very long time. Of course, he's comparing it to the drought last year. They're going to be dry for the next 10 days, but nobody cares. There's plenty of moisture and the temperatures are cool. It's like that, you know, it's like getting into August for us and it's a high of 80. You know, who cares mm -hmm. if it's dry? We're not stressing the crop there. Uh, but the wetter conditions to the north, that'll be the top of mind thing for me because we're going to be, we're supposed to be making between now and the end of February almost all of the harvest progress for the first crop of soybeans. And if it's wet in that area and stays wet in that area, that's going to slow that down. Now that's been something I've been worried about for a while. Still there's a signal in the models. Some of them want to keep it wet all through February. So how does that slow down harvest, slow down planting, and do we really run the risk of the monsoon shutting off early in April? And I think that's uh, uh, just so big right now uh, for for the markets and and for everything. As folks look at that 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 kind of that bullseye on Brazil and whether or not they can get soybeans out, get Safrida planted, um, that's been the running storyline. And I know you and I have talked about this, Eric. Now it's kind of that this is that time frame that we talked about a few months ago. This is where you know push comes to shove, so to speak. Yeah, if there's going to be a weather premium built into the market, we've been talking about the potential for it for months. It's going to be in the next yeah. three weeks. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, anything else that you're watching South America-wise that you want to keep an eye on or or anything else around the world here as we uh, look to wrap things up today, Eric? Uh, what else is top of mind for you here this week? Well, you know, we mentioned that the wetter conditions stick around in South America, but I think one of the most important things is that globally, this El Nino, normally an El Nino makes it really dry in Australia. They've got a tropical cyclone going down the West Coast, a tropical cyclone going down the East Coast. I mean, it's extremely wet right now in Australia and uh, in parts of Australia, and that that's very uncharacteristic of El Nino. So I think about this and it makes me just wonder how El Nino-like can things continue through uh, spring and summer. And I don't know that it's going to be the dominant factor going forward. Well, something we're going to watch closely. And Eric, I know folks can find the links to your weekly newsletter and all the latest weather information online, ag-wx.com, ag-wx.com. Eric Snodgrass with Nutrient Ag Solutions. Always great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. And we do appreciate it again. Eric Snodgrass there with Nutrient Ag Solutions. Again, find more online, set up for his weekly weather newsletter and more, ag-wx.com. That's ag-wx.com. Well, Congress has voted to extend temporary funding again to keep the government open, but in the process likely produced more delays in writing a farm bill and more frustration among ag members. No progress is how GOP Senator from Iowa, Joni Ernst, described farm bill efforts almost four months after the last farm bill expired. It was extended by one year. And that's as House and Senate lawmakers extended temporary funding until March to keep USDA and other federal agencies open. 
Ernst was asked outside the Senate about the impact of continued fights over full-year spending bills on the farm bill. Exactly. I mean, it will impact the farm. It will affect everything else. So we need to get our work done. But you know what the problem is? Chuck Schumer's not allowing us to bring these appropriate bills across the floor of the Senate. While Ag Democrats also frustrated, Senate Ag Chair Debbie Stabenow in Michigan had this to say. There have been many delays as it relates to the churning and the chaos. And there could be more chaos to come as House Speaker Mike Johnson faces renewed pressure from Freedom Caucus conservatives to fight the Senate over social policy and border immigration riders. So there is a lot going on in terms of trying to get a farm bill done and keep the government open and get new funding done. There's a lot to watch in Washington, D.C. All right, coming up next here on Market Talk, we are going to get a recap of Monday's market action. How are these uh, grain and livestock futures trading here as we start off the week and head towards the end of the month of January? We'll talk with John Heinberg from Total Farm Marketing next here on Market Talk. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice. And you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. Overall quietness in the markets to start off the trading week. We got a little bit of a pop in soybeans late in the session and bean oil, but everything else was relatively quiet. Livestock trade was down a bit. Well, meantime, we watched stocks and energies trade a little bit higher. Stock markets set all-time records on Friday. Let's talk about what's happening in this market trade. Joining us for a conversation, John Heinberg with Total Farm Marketing. John, good to catch up with you again. And uh, if you were like me, uh, hopefully uh, I was starting to doze off watching some of this trade action on Monday. Hopefully you didn't doze off too. Uh, man, just real quiet action to start off the week, John. Yeah, definitely in the corn market, wheat market for sure. I mean, you go look at corn closes the last three days. I think we're within a penny of themselves every day here at this 445 window. And, you know, considering the low for off the report was 447, we dropped to 443 after that. You know, we're talking basically what four cent trading range on the closes over the last five days. So prices are consolidating, just looking for some news. It continues to be extremely quiet. He's got a little bit in that bean market today there, led by the soybean oil market, maybe trying to find itself a little bit of a bottom. You know, and then wheat just kind of played along today too with just some mild gains. So realistically, yeah, for a Monday, this market's looking for some direction and really didn't find any news overall there. Well, let's talk about this market a little bit more in, in terms of risk management, John, because you and I've talked about this quite a bit. Even in quiet environments like this, you got to be smart with your marketing here. A lot of folks are reassessing things. They're not loving the price action that we're seeing right now, but yet you got to protect any sort of downside risk because to me, I'm not seeing much in the way of a bullish story for these grain markets here in the short term, John. 
Uh, same in both. I mean, agree with you totally in that regard. You know, and, and one thing I've been talking with a lot of guys about, you know, we got these at-risk bushels that aren't priced. And nobody likes where we are right now, especially in the core market or even in the bean market in terms of overall value that's out there. But things can get worse. You know, when you look at the charts, are we consolidating for one more break? Are we are we doing do we have a turning point here? I'm not sure what the reason is other than it's just cheap enough. You know, my my charts are still pointing to a downside target, maybe another uh, 20 cents down or so uh, that falls into some of those longer term charts. You know, I've been doing a lot of work with shorter term puts. Option volatility is really inexpensive right now. Just get a floor under those bushels. You know, we talk about market cycle of emotions and we're kind of in this window now, you know, when prices are at their peak, everybody's just feeling good or, you, you know, euphoric about price. We're kind of in this what, fear, depression, borderline panic mode because guys are looking at the bottom line and going, you know, I need this thing to turn around or it's going to get interesting. Leaves us basically one more page, which is the capitulation and that hopeless feeling when prices do break one more time. You know, I'm kind of watching for that window, maybe if that occurs here, you know, if we do see things roll over and guys just kind of throw their hands up in the air and say, all right, I'm done. I got to move this green or whatever. That's the window you want to start getting new. You know, you got the maximum potential upside available in front of you and we've got to our bottom side. So I think we're just still a little short of that, unfortunately. Uh, so I'm kind of thinking that right, that vein at least. And we just got a lot of, especially in the corn side, some front end bushels. We got to get moved here. And, uh, you know, the weather's not helping that, but at least at the same time, you know, uh, you know, this bush, until these bushels get a home, it's going to keep this market pretty heavy. And now we're starting to look at what's coming down the pipeline. Argentina is going to have a large crop. Brazil's, mm -hmm. you know, soybean harvest is going well. So that means they're getting planting in ahead of pace. And, you know, those are just stories and headlines that are going to just make it difficult in this marketplace going forward here. I wonder, John, uh, you know, the stocks making all-time record highs, a lot of fund money, managed money feels like it's going into the stock market right now, spilling into energy somewhat. Do you feel like some of that money going into, into the stocks could potentially, you know, stocks give some support to commodities, or is that a, a bad thing for commodity action right now? What do you think, John? Well, I think if you look at the money flow, it's leaving the commodity space, the anti-inflation play, and it's looking for a place to go. And the stock market is hot right now. I mean, we looked at a market last week that felt like it wanted to reverse over, maybe take some value out. And next thing you know, boom, explode higher on Friday, new highs again today. So that's at least the place where the money wants to go. You know, right now in the grain markets, you know, they're still pushing short positions. They still got room to go. You know, we took the 2019 funds, went about 350,000 short contracts or about 70,000 off of that total before they turned it around. You know, there's still some room for them to push this market. Soybeans realistically aren't that short yet at this window. Mm -hmm. And with the news that we're seeing out of South America, that's going to continue to be a difficult position to get turned around at this time frame. So, so right now, I think it's still buying one versus the other. And we until maybe we do get something on the stock market side or the equity market side that brings some major correction. And then the funds might look around and say, you know, hey, corn's pretty cheap here or soybeans are cheap here. And then we see that money flow in. I'm just not sure we're at that point yet uh, here so far in the calendar year. You know, with the supply situation we have out there and the numbers that USDA gave us here uh, on the January reports, uh, what are you hearing from folks? Do you think we could see some of that shift from, you know, away from corn acres to 
soybean anchors here in the U.S. I think that could be a potential storyline as we move into spring planting, John. You know, it very well could be, but I mean, if you just sit there and go look at the ratio of what we're talking about right now, you know, uh, you know, we're not quite at that level. We're about two and a half. So things are actually fairly priced in the new crop corn bean ratio. Uh, you know, there's two ways you buy, buy acres. You raise the price of one versus the other. You crush the price of one versus the other. You know, I'm still a little worried that we're in the first, second camp right now in terms of bringing prices down. Uh, you know, so at this time frame, I think a lot of it's going to depend on demand, what the USDA does with that soybean demand story going forward. You know, we got export inspections today. They were within expectations. They're okay, but it feels like our window is really closing very, very quickly for soybeans in terms of new sales. You know, so we'll have to watch that because we get into the next report here as we get into, you know, February, March and April before we get to that acre you know, to, well, we get the acre number in March, but before we get into those final planning intentions, you know, if they go throw another 20 million on the balance sheet just because of export demand, you know, now we're over 300 million. Now the supply doesn't mm-hmm. look so bad. You know, there's some scenarios out there that are a little scary yet that can come into play. Uh, but, you know, look at some of those December numbers for exports out of Brazil into China for both corn and soybeans. Okay. The, you know, massive amount of soybeans went into Brazil from, or corn went into Brazil in the last couple of months here, most of it in the, since the start of the marketing year, you know, and a good portion uh, of those being, you know, those, those sales came from the United States and replacement, you know, in that regard. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all kind of pieces together. But right now that's the big question to me is the demand side of the equation, even for corn, even though things are a little bit ahead of pace right now, does that maintain itself? especially if this Argentina crop comes in at 60 million tons, as some people are talking, that's a big export book that they're going to put out there that's going to be difficult for us to compete with, you know, going forward. John, talk to me about the livestock trade. Uh, cattle and hogs a little lower on Monday. Cattle on feed report looked to be pretty much in line with expectations, and I think a lot of that was already factored into the cattle market. What's your take on the protein sector to kick off the week? You know, yeah, real quiet day, real kind of a tougher start, but we came off those lows very nicely. Might turn into a bit of a buying opportunity, especially in like feeders. You know, talking to the guys in countryside feeder prices versus the board are significantly different. Uh, so here we had two and a half bucks down on the open. That was probably a window maybe get some feeders locked in for some people. You know, a couple of big things, cattle on feed numbers, like you said, within expectations, placement still below 100%. Still seeing a large amount of heifers in the feedlots. So when we get that mm-hmm. cattle inventory report coming up here at the end of the month, I don't think we're going to see that beef cow expansion or that beef herd expansion too. So still keeps me a little bit friendly, the cattle market. I definitely like the third and fourth quarter here. You know, the market's kind of priced on in December cattle up to 183 on the lives today, pushing 260 out there for the feeders. Again, just showing you that there could be some supply tightness down the road again. Um, so keep that on your radar now. The only thing we really got to keep an eye on the economy, demand, things of that nature going forward. But, you know, we talk about money flow. They're only long about 12,000 contracts of live cattle right now in the funds. They really have liquidated that position. And again, if they're just looking for a market that's got the fundamental story, which it isn't cattle right now in terms of supply, you know, demand is holding in there. That's some of the reason we've seen some firmness today. Again, carcass values continue to climb again in this window. 
uh, that we could see the funds just say, you know what, we want to own cattle again. That was a pretty good ride last time. Let's go try it one more time. And who knows where this market wants to get to if that money can give it that extra shot. John, I think overall, uh, whether we're talking grain or livestock markets, uh, it can't get lackadaisical here when it's quiet. Got to manage your risk. Uh, what, would, what do you want folks to remember at this juncture right now, John? Well, markets aren't going to do something because they have to. Okay, they're just going to, they're going to move based on what the money flow says, and you know we hear that in the ground. Oh, it's got to go higher, but does it have to? You know, uh, at least at this time frame, you know, to me it still comes down to key numbers. What is the production? What is the stocks to use? You know, you go look at a historical chart. Corn stocks use fifteen to sixteen percent is where we were after the last USDA report. That typically gives us a range four fifty to three fifty on a corn price on a historical level. You know, we got a little bit of inflation, so that puts us at the top end of that range. So that leaves me a little more concerned to the downside there, especially if the demand doesn't come through. You know, if we're on the cattle side, you've had a nice price recovery. Probably a great window to start thinking about making sure we got some protection in those safety valve puts. We talked about those like crazy all last year before this thing rolled over, and they would have been really good place. So start keeping those things on the radar. You know, maybe you don't lock in profitability, but boy, I sure like to make sure we're locking in something so the losses aren't as dramatic if things do turn really, really sour. John, if folks want to reach out to you and get some advice there at Total Farm Marketing, how can they get a hold of you? Sure, I'd love to chat with them anytime. Give me a call, 800-334-9779. Shoot me an email at johnh at totalfarmmarketing.com. And that website of ours, totalfarmmarketing.com. John Heimberg with Total Farm Marketing. Always good to talk with you, my friend. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good. Have yourself a great week, everybody. We'll be back with more on Market Talk right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. As we continue here on today's program, let's wrap it up with a look at a few news headlines here on today's show. While the ag economy facing some headwinds heading further into 2024, Roland Fumasi, head of Robble Research Food and Agribusiness North America, says things are taking a step back after a few productive years. When you look at the last two crop years, growers had some record pricing, really, really strong. It's the positive aspect of it. Balance sheets are in pretty good shape, which is going to allow farmers on average out there to withstand some of the pain that we're seeing now. You look at corn and soybean markets, very, very depressed, even more depressed after last week's WASD. And so there's going to be a little give back, I think, of that cash buildup over the next two to three years. But people should be able to withstand it after two very successful years. He says most farmers have some liquidity left after multiple years of high prices. As of today, I would say yes. Even when you look back at the beginning of 2023, when we were in that previous crop year, prices stayed pretty strong through the first half of last year. So it's really just in the second half of 2023 and currently where we've really seen the markets get depressed. I think as of today, the average producer out there is in pretty good shape in terms 
terms of their balance sheet. Unfortunately, there's going to be some time here where this pain is probably going to last a bit. Farmers are holding a lot of commodities on farm, which means they're going to have to get sold sometime, so prices will likely drop. I think about on-farm stocks really being at record highs, right? At some point here in the coming months, we've got to make room for the crop late this year, right? We've got to make room for the next crop. So that doesn't scream bullishness for the markets when you know they're sitting on those on-farm stocks that are going to have to come out. Other countries also have a lot of stocks on hand, which isn't promising for overseas demand. It's really a supply side issue. When you think about the consecutive record years that Brazil had, keep in mind, this doesn't get talked about a lot. China had a record corn crop. You think about that, you think about the U.S. crop really being a lot stronger last year than what a lot of people were originally anticipating. Yields just got revised upward, which didn't surprise us. We, we were calling for corn yields to be higher. So we've got a lot of product out there. And once again, that is Roland Fumasi with Robo Research North America. Well, also Farm Bureau and partner organizations on Sunday announced Together All at the American Farm Bureau Federation Convention in Salt Lake City, Utah. Jessica Cabrera, American Farm Bureau Federation Managing Director of Member Engagement, says Together All is a new mental health resource for rural America. Together All is a safe, anonymous, online peer-to-peer community. It is accessible 24-7 and it is moderated around the clock by licensed clinicians. Farmers and their family members who are age 16 or older can simply set up a profile that assigns an anonymous username. Then they can access a global network of peers who can listen to them and support them. Cabrera says there are many partner organizations that came together to make this happen. So this resource is being launched by the Farm Family Wellness Alliance. The Alliance is a coalition of organizations that include Farm Foundation, American Farm Bureau Federation, Farm Credit, CoBank, Iowa Farm Bureau, DHS, Land O'Lakes, National Farmers Union, 4-H, FFA, Agriculture Future of America, Together All, and Personal Assistance Services. She adds farmers, ranchers, and their families face some unique challenges when it comes to mental health. Farming is very challenging and often farmers are living in isolation or facing a lot of stigma about reaching out for help. And taking that first step to reach out is often the hardest step to take. They'll think that it is a sign of weakness to reach out for help when in reality, reaching out for help is a sign of strength. So at this time, having an online anonymous peer-to-peer community is a way for farmers and their families to be able to onboard themselves to the continuum of taking care of themselves. Visit farmstateofmind.org to find this resource and others. Well, Congress has voted to extend temporary funding again to keep the government open, but in the process likely produced more delays in writing a farm bill and more frustration among ag members. No progress is how GOP Senator Jody Ernst of Iowa described farm bill efforts almost four months after the last farm bill expired and was extended by one year. That is House and Senate lawmakers extended temporary funding until March to keep USDA and other federal agencies open. Senator Ernst was asked outside the Senate about the impact of continued fights over full-year spending bills on the farm bill. 
Exactly. I mean, it will impact the farm. It will affect everything else. So we need to get our work done. But you know what the problem is? Chuck Schumer's not allowing us to bring these appropriate bills across the floor of the Senate. Now, Ag Democrats are also frustrated. Senate Ag Chair Debbie Stabenow. There have been many delays as it relates to the churning and the chaos. With more delays to come as House Speaker Mike Johnson faces renewed pressure from Freedom Caucus conservatives to fight the Senate over social policy and border immigration riders. And fights continue for scarce farm bill dollars. Ernst on Secretary Vilsack's focus on commodity credit corporation funds as a solution. I don't know that that's the magic bullet, but he may know more than I do. I hope he does. Um, but they need to sit down at the table together uh, between uh, Chairman Stabenow, between uh, Ranking Member Bozeman, Secretary Vilsack. Now, Stabenow in her final year before retiring insists a farm bill could get done this year before the need for another extension. She wrote a letter to her colleagues on their work to write a new farm bill and outlined several proposals for strengthening the farm safety net in the new bill. While calling the 2018 farm bill a strong foundation for American farmers, she also says, quote, the 2024 farm bill is an opportunity for the committee to make improvements, modernize dated elements and address emerging challenges American farmers face, end quote. Her vision for modernizing the safety net centers around principles like programs being targeted to active farmers, providing farmers choice and flexibility, and sending them timely assistance. She also says officials need to expand the reach of programs to help more farmers and address the emerging risks that farmers face, saying, quote, Crop insurance is a key tool to meaningfully advance each of these goals. Farmers want better affordability and a more straightforward and streamlined process. Well, that is all the time we have for Market Talk here today. Some of the closes for the markets on Monday. We saw March quarter up a quarter penny, 445 and three quarters. July up a half penny, 464 and three quarters. March beans up 11, 12, 24 and a quarter. July up nine and a quarter, 12, 41 and a quarter. Bean meal slightly lower, bean oil up moderately. March Chicago wheat three and a quarter higher, 596 and a half. KC and spring wheat mixed a couple of cents either side of unchanged. Kettle and hog futures mostly lower. February live kettle down 60, 173.77. That's going to do it for Market Talk. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Tomorrow we'll talk with Brian Split from agmarket.net here on Market Talk.